Hello and welcome to Abscond with Ethan Renault, episode 26. The very first episode of the year 2020. Welcome to the new decade, everybody. I'm sure you've heard that enough, so I'll move on. Uh, today, I'm recording this on January 9th, on a Thursday. And um, I know that it has been a long time since, <coughs> excuse me, since I recorded the podcast. Um, the last one was with Beckett Cook um, about homosexuality, a gay man who discovered that Jesus was better than anything he could have found on his own, anything that he... Uh, had um, experienced previously in his life. If you haven't listened to that one, I highly recommend going back and listening to episode 26 with Beckett. It's a great interview if that is the type of thing that interests you. Today, I'm kind of doing a couple things. Um, I'll start off with the one segment that I introduced but rarely ever used, Media Talk. Media talk. So the song that I just discovered that I've been listening to over and over is called Adore by Amy Shark. I was like, is that her real name? And I don't know. But she's kind of blowing up a little bit. She's an Australian singer. I don't think I'm allowed to play a clip from it. Um, actually, I don't know if I am or not. Well, I'll just do a little clip because no one listens to this podcast anyway. So just listen to the intensity of the way that she sings this song. It's Adore by Amy Sharp. heard this song um, it was it was actually playing in the background of the show Shits Creek I have to say it carefully S-C-H-I-T-T-S Creek a show I've been watching on Netflix it's really funny um, not necessarily any good moral foundation in that show that I can recommend but it is incredibly funny and entertaining and the song was playing in the background of one scene and I was just struck by the rawness and the intensity of her voice and the way that she sings that song. And um, it hit me in two ways. One, because, like, wouldn't it be awesome, all of us, no matter <clears throat> who we are, we want somebody to sing a song like that to us. We also want somebody to be so infatuated with that we would write a song like that and sing it to them with the same level of raw intensity, right? So um, that just struck me. The other thing about it that struck me, which has kind of like taken it to a deeper level probably, is that someone, when I was in college at Moody, somebody once told me that every love song, you should think it through, like listen to the lyrics and act as if you are singing it to God or if God is singing it to you depending on the context. And I was thinking about that in the context of this song with how much raw intensity and raw power it has. And I was just thinking, like, 
isn't it crazy that God could sing a song like that to us? Like the, uh, kind of like the, it's not Chris Tomlin. What's that guy? Corey Asbury? Is he the one who wrote Reckless Love? Like he got a lot of uh, flack for saying that God's love could be reckless, right? And to be honest, people who crit- critique that kind of thing are ridiculous because um, recently I was teaching on the parable of the sower, like the, the guy who threw the seeds, the farmer who threw the seeds, some fall on the rocky soil, some get eaten by birds, some get um, uh, choked by thorns, and others um, find good soil and flourish, right? The thing that the agrarian culture would have noticed about that parable when they first heard it is that farmers don't sow their seeds like that. If you're a good farmer, you're going to meticulously take time to plant your seeds in good soil. You're not going to just like foolheartedly toss them wherever they may, letting some fall in bad places where they won't survive. You're going to put good seeds in good soil. However, the farmer in Jesus' parable is just throwing them hither and yon, like letting them fall where they may. So I get echoes of that in reckless love, that God's love is so reckless, he scatters it around, he just throws it, hoping someone will latch onto it and connect with him. And I hear the same thing in the rawness and the realness of Adore by Amy Shark when she's just like um, talking about drunkenness, um, not promoting drunkenness, but just how she says um, uh, something about take one sip and get drunk on something because I adore you. She's not talking about being drunk on alcohol, I don't think. She's talking about being just drunk on this infatuation with this person that she's singing to. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that we should, in some ways, get lost in our love, our affection for God in that way. And I also think that um, it's safe to say that he does the same for us. He's been called the hound of heaven, the one who chases chases us down from heaven wherever we may be, seeking us out, running toward us constantly uh, like, a, like a bloodhound. Anyway, this has been Media Time. Moving on. Oh, I forgot. Before I end Media Time, I'm going to see the film Parasite tonight with my brother, and I am so excited for it. Every movie app I follow, every um, rating website, everything um, has given it just phenomenal scores. It's already winning awards. It has 99% on Rotten Tomatoes. And if you know about Rotten Tomatoes, you know that's very rare. And uh, it's, um, it's a Korean drama, and it looks really intense. And I've tried not to read too much about it, but maybe on the next episode i'll do a little review of it without spoiling anything but if you haven't heard of it um, you might look into parasite i'm going to see it tonight and uh i'm super stoked to see what that's all about anyway okay now i'm really wrapping up media time media talk okay i wanted to spend the rest of the time on this episode spend a couple minutes talking about a conversation i've been having with a friend of mine and the conversation goes like this. It started when he used the phrase, I don't see color. We were, actually, let me back up a little bit and tell you a little bit about him, a little bit about me. He is from Texas, and now he lives in Colorado. He is a white dude who was homeschooled his entire K-12 through 
homeschooled, went straight from homeschool to Colorado Christian University here in Colorado. Um, and if you don't know, it's a private, conservative, predominantly white uh, college. And he was there, and he's been living in here in Colorado ever since, like in the suburbs where I live. And um, again, a very predominantly white part of the world, and that has been his life experience. Um, mine has been a lot more haphazard <laughs> and all over the place. I grew up half in Colorado, half in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. So I think that I moved three major times before I graduated high school across the country. And I think just moving in itself, if you've ever moved, especially at a, a young developmental age, you'll know that you have to learn to adapt to other cultures, even if it's within the country, if you're moving across the country, people still act and think very differently depending on where you are in the country. And then after that, I was with a missions organization for several years. Um, I forget how many con countries I went to with them, but I was on all six continents before I turned 21, bouncing all over the place. Then I went to Chicago um, to attend Moody Bible Institute. And Moody is right in the heart of downtown Chicago. It's not like outside the city. It's in the center of Chicago, which is super cool to have a college experience like that in a major global city like Chicago. And after that, I moved back here for a couple of years, started going to Denver Seminary, and I was a youth pastor. And then I spent the last year in Guatemala. Um, so I was there for a full year teaching, and I moved back from there a couple months ago. And... Uh, so anyway, uh, he and I, my friend and I, have very different experiences of life as far as how to adapt and understand and listen to different cultures. And so we were chatting one night, and I can't remember how this came up, but something about race came up, and he says, oh, I don't see color. And I knew that his intention in saying that was that he treats everybody the same regardless of their skin color. Uh, his intention behind it was good. He was not trying to just say like, oh, I dismiss everybody's differences. I don't value other cultures. And yet, uh, my immediate reaction to him was, you know, that's kind of an offensive phrase, right? Like you, we shouldn't say, I don't see color to people, especially people of other uh, skin colors. And he was like, nothing's wrong with that phrase. It's, it's perfectly good. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I was like, eh, you might want to look into it. And so it kind of opened up this whole big debate bringing in some linguistics and uh, racial things. But I think the deeper issue is, as I was talking to another friend of mine who's Asian, and she said, um, people who are not white don't have the luxury of, quote, not seeing color, right? Um, let me break it down like this. And again, I'm a white person, saying this from a white person's perspective, and I'd love to get people of other colors on here. Maybe I will in the future. Um, but here's just me sharing a little bit of my understanding, unpacking a little bit of what I understand um, about a little bit of racial experience um, from what I've heard from other people. So if you are a black person, basically anywhere in America, I'm sure that different parts of America are different, but if you're a black person in America, let's say Denver, you're going about your daily life and your skin 
color, your race, might come up in, say, 5% of your interactions with people on a day-to-day basis, right? Just 5%. And let's say that 4% of those are innocuous, harmless comments. Like someone might say, oh, your skin tone is so nice. Oh, that's, you know, but it comes up. And then the 1% is actually like aggressive, offensive, like derogatory remarks made about you because of your skin color. And I ran those numbers by a black friend of mine. She said, yeah, that sounds about accurate. Um, So 5% of your conversations regard your race and only out of those, only 1% is actually antagonistic or offensive. Compare that to a white person like me. I have gone 99% of the days of my life without giving a second thought to my race. I have never felt antagonized because of my race. I have never had to think, oh, I wonder if I'll be able to buy this thing from this person because of my skin color. What if this person's racist? Or I never have an interaction with a stranger on the street or in a coffee shop and wonder in the back of my mind, oh, are they going to bring up my race? Because I'm white. People don't just bring up white people's race most of the time. And uh, so most of the days of my life, I have not given a second thought to my skin color. Uh, And when it comes to bigger things too, like renting an apartment, I've never had to say, oh, I wonder if they'll rent it to me. I wonder if the neighbors will treat me differently because of my skin color. Even, and this is where it gets really interesting, when I was in Guatemala, I was a strong minority. Guatemala is mostly Guatemalans, and I stood out like a sore thumb when I was there. But in no way was my minority status the same as a minority of a, a different colored skin group in America. Does that make sense? There, people would look at the gringo and they would say, oh, look at that white person. He has a lot of money. He knows a lot of things. He is intelligent. He, um, in some ways, people probably thought I was above them because of my skin color. Whereas in America, it's the exact opposite approach to minorities. We, uh, white people, and I'm just going off statistics I've read online here, White people are more likely to look down on other skin colors, to assume that they're poor, assume that they're less educated, um, et cetera, et cetera. All that's to say, my experience of race in America is not even on the same planet as the experience of someone of a different skin color in America. Are you tracking with me so far? They are thinking of race all the time. They are always wondering, will this person be the 1% who like, calls me a bad word? Will this person be the 1% who inadvertently, maybe accidentally says something offensive? Or will this person be of the 5% who brings up my skin color again? You know, um, even if they're doing it in a complimentary manner. So race is always in the back of their mind, whereas for white people, it barely ever is. So, with, with that in mind, for my friend to say, I don't see color, it completely dismisses their experience of a colored person in America. It says, oh, your experience should probably be similar to mine, because I don't see color. 
our experiences aren't that different. And from the background he's coming from, it kind of makes sense that he would think that because he has had a, a narrower range of experiences. Something I've learned to be true in the past couple years is people with less cultural experience assume that they know more about other cultures. And the thing I've learned by traveling and being in so many different contexts and cultures is how little I actually do know about other cultures. So there's this kind of humility that comes with having a broader range of experiences. Whereas for my friend who's homeschooled, he kind of has one way of seeing the world hammered into him. So even though he's not trying to be racist, he ended up saying something and then refused to change his view because of the narrow amount of experience he's had, especially as a white person in Texas and then Colorado. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to do here is maybe for us white people, if you're a white person listening to this, my hope is that if you're like my friend and you're tempted to say, I see everybody as equal, that phrase I think is okay. I think it's acting colorblind or saying, I don't see color. I think that is where it gets offensive because, for one, it dismisses the people's experiences that they go through on a daily basis, which we have no concept or category for. Two, in addition to dismissing the negative associations of their race, it also dismisses the positive ones and in a sense says, yeah, I don't care about learning more about your uh, Latino culture or your black culture or your Asian culture. I don't care about learning about those because I don't see color. We should all be the same. Whereas if you're an Asian person, you couldn't look at a white person and say, I don't see color because color is basically all you see or it's all you think about on the back of your mind on a day-to-day basis. And that's what I've been told. I'm going off what my friends have told me who are not white. So feel free to respond. But that's my understanding of it. So I have known for a while that that phrase was offensive. I also know that a couple years ago, I would have been exactly like my friend and used a phrase like that and said, oh, why, why are you trying to tell me how to talk? You know, my intention was good. Why can't you hear that my intention was good? Um, I'm trying not to be racist. But I think that often as white people, our attempts to not be racist can sometimes come off as ignorant or condescending. And I think that we need to humble ourselves and ask questions more than we talk and uh, spend a lot of time listening. Um, I've been trying to open up my range, open up my ears to ask my peop- my friends who are not white, like, what's your experience been like? For instance, my Asian friend I mentioned earlier, she her dad barely speaks any English because he's from Asia. And uh, there have been times that he's been mistreated just because he's not white and he doesn't speak English. So people will be really mean to him, get upset with him, like, what are you talking Why don't you understand this? And as soon as my friend walks over, who does speak perfect English, they get a lot nicer. Their entire com- like uh, demeanor changes and they get friendly and they're like, oh, I'm just trying to explain to him this. And she's like, no, you weren't. You were, you were being a jerk to my dad. And so, like, I just am realizing more and more as a white person how narrow my experience has been. 
and I guess I would kind of sum it up like I watch Remember the Titans and I'm like, yeah, like down with racism. Everyone should just be friends. And then you think you're not a racist person. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, right? Like a two hour Hollywood movie doesn't necessarily compensate for the daily experience of millions of people in America. Um, I mean, if you agree with the main idea of Remember the Titans or the Green Book or any other film that's uh, got the, a similar message, I think that's a great starting point. But I don't think that that's um, a comprehensive understanding of people of other color and their experience in America. Does that make sense? All I'm saying is don't act like you know the experience of other people. Um, speaking specifically to fellow white people, open our ears, open our minds. Um, I think that if you're a conservative person, if you're a right-leaning person, the temptation is just to dismiss it and say, uh, this is just liberal people trying to control my words and take away my free speech. And um, there, there is the extreme that goes too far and controls speech. And um, obviously you can go too far in any direction. But I think for the most part, anything done in love, anything done to build a bridge rather than a wall, um, I think it, it can't hurt, right? To be honest, my friend still will not admit that his phrase is offensive. And he is defending it adamantly and will not let go of the fact that he was wrong. And to me, that just kind of screams of like pride and, and a closed-mindedness that actually won't connect to other cultures, despite the fact that he's trying not to be a racist person with that exact phrase. So my encouragement is listen, learn, humble yourself, admit that you don't know everything, and that even if you're trying not to be a racist person, there's a long way you can go. Um, I've written a couple blog posts about this. One, the most recent one is called What White People Don't Understand About Racism. And one before that was called An Apology from an Accidental Racist. Because I never would have considered myself a racist person. However, I've realized that there are many things that I do with my language or my actions or my thoughts or the way I think about the world or see the world that are from a white uh, perspective and learning more about this has really blown my mind. The last thing I'll say about this is that I read an interesting article that said that white people tend to not think that their race influenced their upbringing or their experience. White people are the only people in America, maybe the world, who don't think that their race impacted their lives. We kind of tend to think that we have this objective view of the world and everyone else has a culturally tinted view of the world. Like, oh, that's just how black people see the world. Oh, that's how Asian people, oh, that's how Latin people see the world. Whereas white people think that our skin color has not affected our view. When I read, when I read that, it blew my mind. I was like, holy cow, that's true. Like, of me anyway. Like, I have never once thought, oh, my whiteness has influenced the way that I see X, Y, Z, or the way that I act in this situation, right? We tend to think that our view is objectively the correct experience of the world. We don't see ourselves as a race. We see ourselves as just, like, objectively right. And when you think about that, that's crazy. 
that is a a a racial construct built on a foundation of pride rather than humility. And I think the more that we can undo that, the more we can recognize that in ourselves, the better we'll be at connecting with people who are not white. Connecting at people connecting with people of all skin colors. And I think that's what's intended. Okay, the last last thing I'll say about that phrase is this. If you think about the kingdom of God, in Revelation it talks about all tribes and all tongues coming together to worship God. Um, that's kind of been the story ever since the story of the Tower of Babel in Genesis. In the Tower of Babel, man's sin separated them by language. And the rest of the Bible is kind of moving back toward that unity that they had before. Um, even in Acts 2 at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, what do they do? They start speaking in languages so that everyone can understand them. That's an exact reversal of the Tower of Babel, right? And yet, God doesn't want a whitewashed, no pun intended, uniform, like gray, bland group of people to worship him. Like, God sees color. God celebrates diversity. God celebrates all the tribes and nations coming together as one to worship him. But that coming together as one does not mean that we sacrifice our cultures and our traditions and the way that we see him, right? So it makes me think if God sees color and if God celebrates color, we should also celebrate color. And in a sense, saying that we don't see color is almost a denial of the differences that God has given us. We should be celebrating them, not acting like we don't see them. Um, it's almost offensive, I think, in a way, if we try to dismiss something that God distinctly put in human beings, our diversity, the differences that we can celebrate. Um, all of that. Anyway, um, I feel like I have more thoughts and I could just sit here all day and, and talk about this, but this is, uh, yeah, it's an ongoing conversation, of course. I'd love to hear back from you. Get in contact with me at ethanrenault.com. That's uh, the best way to see what I'm doing, what I'm thinking, what I'm writing about. I've been doing a one blog a day challenge, which is part of the reason I've been so bad at making podcasts. I've been writing one blog a day, um, either at ethanrenault.com or at medium.com, a writing platform, but... Uh, the best ones are all on ethanreno.com. Uh, Facebook, Ethan Renault or Ethan Reno Official. Twitter, at Ethan Reno, Instagram, at Ethan Reno. And if you want to email me directly, Ethan at EthanRenault.com. <laughs> and if you've heard me say my name enough, that means that this is the end of the podcast. I would love to hear from you. Uh, please write back with your thoughts, questions, comments, cares, concerns, uh, but no complaints. And um, I will talk to you next time. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Abscond, episode 26 with Ethan Renault. And I'll talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>